Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to the CHEST Journal Podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your CHEST Podcast Moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a great discussion on rates of respiratory failure in patients with sepsis who receive intravenous fluids. We are fortunate to have Dr. Nikhil Jagan as our guest. Dr. Jagan and his colleagues wrote an article in the April 2021 CHEST Journal, Sepsis the administration of intravenous fluids and respiratory failure, a retrospective analysis of the SAFER study. Dr. Jagan is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. His research interests include sepsis and respiratory failure and COVID-19. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. Now, Dr. Jagan, your study sought to evaluate whether there was a difference in the incidence of respiratory failure in patients with sepsis who received a 30 milliliter per kilogram intravenous fluid bolus per guidelines and those who received more conservative resuscitation. What prompted you to ask this question? So the identification of sepsis and uh, just to provide kind of a background and the restoration of uh, peripheral perfusion with early resuscitation with IV fluids is uh, the mainstay in sepsis management. And if we look, the CMS bundle, when implemented uh, correctly, studies actually show a decrease in mortality, length of stay, and healthcare cost. But that being said, it's practically practicality and clinical utility have been called into question uh, seemingly since its inception. Uh, The most uh, recent uh, iteration of the surviving sepsis campaign, the guidelines actually cite fluid resuscitation within the first three hours of management as a strong recommendation, though the quality of evidence is low. And compliance has not been the best, particularly in patients with CHF or CKD with concerns for hydrogenic volume overload. Uh, There's also a study previously published in CHEST which showed no increase in intubation rates in patients with uh, CKD or CHF or cirrhosis, uh, regardless of whether one took a conservative approach or an aggressive approach when it came to volume resuscitation, and a recent review, uh, a systematic review, uh, lent further validity to the thought that there's lack of both quality and quantity of evidence. So all this put together, uh, given the lack of consensus, uh, we conducted our analysis to actually describe the incidence of respiratory failure, which we defined uh, as an increase in baseline oxygen needs in patients with sepsis and in the select high-risk subset, the CKD and CHF, uh, following guideline-recommended initial IV fluid bolus. Now, can you please tell our listeners about the design of your study? So, this study we conducted uh, was a retrospective analysis, uh, wherein we abstracted data from the electronic medical records. 
And our primary outcome was respiratory failure, uh, which we were very purposeful when we defined it as an increase in oxygen flow rate from baseline uh, or requiring more intense oxygenation or ventilation support. So what we did was we considered oxygen via conventional nasal cannula as the lowest level of support, uh, use of a blender or high-flow nasal cannula as the next incremental level, uh, non-invasive ventilation as the next level, and uh, invasive ventilation as maximal support. And we abstracted data at the time of admission, uh, 6 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, and also at the time of discharge. And our primary covariate was uh, uh, receiving appropriate guideline-recommended initial intravenous fluid bolus of 30 cc per kilogram. And what we did was we included people in the appropriate fluid uh, bolus category if they received the recommended bolus and if they received... uh, less than the 30 cc per kilogram or received no fluid at all, then they were included in the uh, inappropriate fluid bolus category. We also looked at subgroups uh, of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, uh, as well as patients with uh, chronic kidney disease uh, as well. And uh, in the inappropriate bolus category, we further stratified them as to uh, no bolus received uh, or just less than 30 cc per kilogram. And you found that only 29% of the patients received the appropriate guideline-associated bolus. Why do you think there was such low adherence to those guidelines? That is an excellent question and a very, very important observation. Uh, so we were we were kind of surprised, too, and unfortunately, our compliance with the CMS-mandated resuscitation strategy has been very poor, to say the least. And this is even more so in patients with the perceived high risk of respiratory failure, which we've kind of highlighted in our study. But what this really led to was it jump-started multiple quality improvement projects at our institution and really led to teams uh, dedicated to improving compliance with the bundle as a whole. And uh, part of uh, all this was the study was actually born out of an attempt to further explore whether respiratory failure was a concern among providers when it actually came to administration of the initial IV fluid bolus in uh, septic patients. What did you find regarding differences in the rate of or time to respiratory failure? So what we found that uh, so what we found in our study, the overall rate of respiratory failure was around thirty eight percent. However, this was not statistically significant or different between uh, patients who received the appropriate bolus or patients who did not receive the appropriate bolus. Uh, Also, the time to respiratory failure was not uh, different between uh, the two groups. And we also found no difference in uh, respiratory failure between patients who actually received no bolus or the inappropriate bolus when we uh, further stratified them in the inappropriate bolus category. And did you see any differences in subgroup analyses of the patients with CKD or CHF? 
so in both the subgroups, the CKD and in uh, the CHF cohort, we did not see any statistically significant differences uh, in respiratory failure. We further looked at the chronic kidney disease patients uh, who were dialysis dependent uh, and those who are not, and there's no difference in respiratory failure rates compared to patients uh, between those groups as well. Uh, also, we looked at the time to ICU discharge, and that was not different between patients who received the appropriate bolus and those that did not. Can you please review for our listeners any limitations of your study? So, uh, as with uh, any retrospective uh, study, the retrospective nature itself of the study kind of limited our ability to distinguish between uh, true sepsis-induced acute respiratory distress syndrome and uh, hydrogenic pulmonary edema. And since we extracted data from uh, the EMR, we weren't really able to pin down uh, what were the signs and symptoms of hypoxemia in folks who needed oxygen. Uh, and we all know excessive fluid resuscitation has been associated with increased mortality, cost of care. Uh, this study, it's important to note, we only considered the initial resuscitation efforts. We did not uh, evaluate harmful effects of a significant uh, positive fluid balance uh, through the hospitalization. Uh, the other things which we were unable to do, uh, given our retrospective design, was uh, the ability to stratify patients according to the source of sepsis, or maybe another etiology which may not really respond to sepsis therapies. Uh, we were able to identify organisms based off of diagnostic codes and documentation. However, this was broadly inconsistent, and we couldn't really narrow down the source of sepsis. And I think another important uh, point to note that there is evidence about the exact timing of fluid administration, and that determines clinical outcomes uh, with data to actually suggest that fluid resuscitation during the first 30 minutes after the onset of septic shock with signs of hypotension or hypoperfusion reduces mortalities. But we were unable to really determine uh, the timing of resuscitation, uh, or we weren't able to go into that level of detail in this study. But all of them really good ideas for future studies. Great. Now, previous work has shown no significant difference in the rates of respiratory failure in patients who receive guideline-recommended fluid boluses. What unique information does your study add to this literature? So our study is unique that, one, it is a comprehensive real-world real analysis of data, and this was done at an academic medical center, which uh, reflects uh, kind of the collective practices of uh, physicians who work in the emergency department, hospitalists, intensivists. It's also a place where you have trainees like residents and fellows who work and uh, something very important is we were very purposeful in the way we defined respiratory failure, and we were way more liberal than a lot of studies as we included patients with increasing oxygen needs as opposed to being uh, more restrictive in the way it's defined as purely needing mechanical ventilation or not, because our thought process was uh, this gave us a little more fluidity uh, just because oxygen needs can increase and decrease rather relatively quickly, whereas the need for mechanical ventilation is kind of a, 
an evolving process and tends to evolve in a lot of cases a little slower. So that was the other reason why we assessed them at multiple time points at the time of admission, six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, and even at the time of discharge. Wonderful. As we finish up our discussion, can you please give our listeners a closing thought on what you've learned from your experiences in this study? What do you want them to take away from this discussion? Absolutely. So, first of all, very important to note that we did not do the study to relitigate if the 30 cc per kilogram is appropriate or not. However, our aim was to or ask the question was to see if there was a difference in the incidence of respiratory failure in patients with sepsis who received the guideline recommended uh, initial IV fluid bolus uh, or did they receive fewer than 30 cc per kilogram. Uh, so our findings of similar respiratory failure rates, regardless whether patients received the appropriate or uh, conservative resuscitation strategy, really suggest that the use of a guideline-directed initial fluid bolus during sepsis should not be approached with trepidation, even in the theoretical high-risk subsets of heart failure or CKD. Well, thank you to Dr. Jagan for a great conversation on a very important topic, and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time. <laughs>